poet Mary Oliver wrote these challenging words, tell me, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? That was a question that haunted me at night growing up because I'd go to sleep with all of these just massive, audacious dreams of what I wanted to do with my life. I am, a, that's kind of who I am. I'm an idea guy. I'm an ENFP on the Myers-Briggs, if you know what that is. I'm a seven on the Enneagram, if you know what that is. If you don't know what either of those things are, that's okay. You'll still survive, okay? Um, but uh, I, I'm an idea person. I mean, I think of more things to do in a lifetime, in an hour, than I can commit to in five lifetimes. Um, I just, they're always coming to me and I just, everything, every new thing I'm so excited about and I want to dive headfirst all in. I want to go fly fishing every week and I got a fly rod a number of years ago. Have I gone fly fishing since I've been here at College Heights? Not for three years, no, not once. I'm an idea guy. I love new things. I love jumping into new experiences and excitement and all that kind of stuff. And so this is just who I was for a long time. And then I, uh, I mean, in, in college, I went to Ozark Christian College here in Joplin, Missouri, and was so excited about all the different things that I could give my life to. I mean, every time International Focus Week happened, I was like, I want to go overseas, be a missionary. I want to go plant churches in, in Los Angeles when I do these church planting trips. And I want to go be a preacher at Carterville Christian Church. I want to work at a non-for-profit organization and a missions agency or start something for people who are living in poverty. And I just had all these different things that I was always interested. I didn't know what God was calling me to. And then I started dating my love of my life, Monica. That's right. She's pretty awesome. She's pretty awesome. There was this good-looking Italian girl across the student center at Ozark playing ping pong. Yes, it was my wife, Monica, who I'm talking about. I said, hey, will you play ping pong with me? She said yes, and she beat me. Okay, let's go play tennis. She played three years of varsity tennis in high school and beat me. I said, I cannot go out with a girl that beats me at everything. A year and a half later, I was like, nope, I want to go out with a girl that beats me at everything. So I kept asking her out, and she kept saying no, until finally I wore her down, and she said yes. And man, that first date, we just kind of knew something was different here, wasn't it? Started dating. I mean, you know what set it off for me was uh, her ringtone was one of my favorite songs, and I knew it was meant to be. Mmm, <laughs> that's it. We started dating, we got engaged, and um, we ended up get, getting closer to when we were going to graduate in like churches we were talking to uh, about different internships or job opportunities, and there were some mission agencies that were talking to us, and, and we were just kind of looking at all these different options, and I mean, there's this one group that wanted me, us to consider praying about um, planting churches in India, and I was all in. I mean, the stars were in my eyes. I was so ready. Let's go. And they said, well, you pray about it, and I was like, I don't need to pray. I know. I got to go. And I was like, no, let's pray about it. So I knew we needed to go. Monica actually prayed. <laughs> and as we, as we talked, you know, about a week later, um, I was like, hey, let's go. And she's like, wait, wait, I didn't really feel like that's what the Lord was leading us. And we got into this really big fight. And um, I went back home to the dorm, Williamson Third, Willie Three. Um, if, you look, if you're at Ozark, that's the highest place on campus. 
Okay, so it's the first place that makes it to heaven when we all go to heaven, right? Um, but uh, Willie Third, and um, I was there in the dorm, my, my roommate, uh, I was just so mad at Monica. I was like, she, she's limiting my options and opportunities. And he kind of looked at me, guy engaged, single guy, hadn't really dated anybody ever. And he said, maybe she's not limiting you, but maybe she's focusing you was not the words I wanted to hear. <laughs> what do you know? Shut up, go away. But it's true. I wouldn't be where I am today in a sweet spot in ministry if it wasn't for Monica. If it wasn't because of this commitment, this covenant, this marriage with someone else saying, no, we're gonna go somewhere together that focuses me, focused me on what God was calling us to and what his role was for our lives, not just size life. And I can't help but think so often in life we have to consider all the options and all the open doors that all we all talk about and everything goes, you know, we, that, that language we use. And we have to address this question, what focuses you? Like what things, what external kind of environments and pieces around you helps focus you to what God is calling you to again and again and again? Because I don't know about you, but so often in my life, I feel like I'm making a millimeter of progress in a million different directions, right? A little here, a little there, a little there, a little there, but I'm not really making any progress anywhere, really. And maybe you're not feeling like you're making a milliliter of uh, a millimeter of progress in a million different directions. Maybe you feel like you're getting defeated in a million different directions. Like everywhere you turn, like defeat here, defeat here, defeat here. And you're like, how do I even know where to begin? Getting focus and progress and getting somewhere in my life. What focuses you on where you need to start? Uh, what that thing is, it's most important that brings kind of everything else together. It kind of reminds me of that uh, kind of getting your buttoning your shirt. I struggle with buttoning my shirt. Um, so much so that I only unbutton the top button and I put it on and off like a regular t-shirt. <laughs> that kind of struggle, okay? Can I get an amen? Anybody else, if you haven't done it before, just start doing it. It changes your life, okay? But the way you can get your shirt buttoned correctly, if you've struggled with this like I have, you start with that top button, right? If you get that aligned, the rest of the buttons fall into place. And the same is true with your life. I truly believe this, that man, all the different fronts that you could struggle in, feel defeated in, try and feel progress in, if you come to this front with Jesus and say, who do I think this man is? What has he done for me? Who, does God, who did God create me to be? It's that top button. I can, you can have victory here. I don't know about anything else in your life, but here at the cross with your sin, with pain, with suffering, with guilt, with death, with hell on earth today, you can have victory in this one front today because of what Jesus did on the cross for you. Where God became man, he went and crawled up on a cross, he died for your sin, then he rose again to give you new life. So that in this one area, start here, it's that top button, victory now. Take that step. Walk the way today. Watch God transform your life and see what that kind of focus brings to you. So what focuses you? 
when you start trying to pursue all those million other different fronts and directions. We've been in a series on this topic of focus for the last several weeks. We've been kind of pulling apart this mission statement as a church. We believe that Jesus has given us a mission and this mission should focus us. It's one of those things that is outside of us that focuses us on what's most important. Here's our mission, it says this, to make disciples of Jesus who change the world through the power of the Holy Spirit and for the glory of God. The shortened version, we just say it like this, make disciples of Jesus who change the world. We know this world isn't what God planned for it to be. It's fallen, it's messed up, it's jacked up, but God wants to transform it. And the way, his plan A to do that, there's no other plan, there's no plan B through Z, there's plan A. And that is to have disciples like you and me making other disciples who transform the world one disciple at a time. Now what does it mean to be a disciple? The elders and ministers of this church, we spent a year defining that. And it comes from this one verse, Matthew 4, verse 19, which says this, Jesus looks at Simon, his brother Andrew, to the very first disciples, and he says, come, follow me. I will change you, I will make you, I will transform you to be fishers of people. That's the verse, and we break that into these three pieces. Disciples are someone who follows Jesus, they are being changed by Jesus, we're not ever there, we're always in the process of being transformed by Jesus until we're resurrected again. And then we are on mission with Jesus. That's what it means. Come follow me, Jesus says. Follow Jesus, and I will make you. That means we're being changed by him. And then I'll make you fishers of men. I will give you a mission. I will give you a purpose. And so this is the complete picture of what it means to be a disciple. Now the danger is we try and do two of the three-legged stool without the other third leg. And if you've been hurt by church, if you've been burned by church, this, this disciple piece, that, that, that graph is probably not what you ran into. What you probably ran into was some other version of this, these three circles. Put that back up there, Blake. Because what happens is so often in the church, we just try and do my role and our role. I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to show up to church. I'm going to be in small group. I'm going to do all the right stuff. But God isn't involved. He's not transforming me. I'm not allowing him to change me. And when you have people that are just doing my role and our role, but God's role is not involved, that's called legalism. Maybe you've ran into that before at church. That's not what Jesus called us to. He called us to discipleship, not to legalism. And maybe you ran to people and it's like, hey, listen, it's my role. I follow Jesus and God's transformed me, but there's no role for us as the church, the body of Christ working together to accomplish God's mission. Like that's not involved. And that's called spiritualism. That's just kind of the me and Jesus faith, right? Or maybe you ran into this where you have someone who's doing, I'm, I'm showing up to all the right stuff and I'm going to small group, going to Sunday school and, and church and God is doing some work, but I'm not really owning my faith. I'm just showing up and people are pouring into me. That's called consumerism. When you have those two, but not the, other, not the third circle. Maybe you've been burned by one of these versions of church before. And I know a lot of times we wrestle with that. One time in my life, right? There's so often in my life, one of those circles kind of falls away and I become a consumer. Or I try and distance myself from the church and I'm just this spiritual guy in nature by myself. Or maybe it's just I, I, I get rid of God and I'm like, you know what, God, I, I got it. I, I'm going to do all the right stuff and I'm, I become a legalist. And if we've hurt you because of one of those three things, I apologize. That was never Jesus' intent for his disciples. No, a disciple is when you have all three of those working together. And today we're going to conclude this series by digging into what it means for us. So we wanted to have one service with everybody in the room because I wanted that us to really mean something today. We wanted us. What's our role as the church the body of Christ, to be on mission with Jesus. I want to base this entire leg of the three-legged stool on one passage and one image. It's from Psalm chapter 1. 
You can turn your Bibles there. If you have a Bible with you and you don't know where Psalm is, just take the Bible, open up directly in half. It's basically in the middle of your Bible, the book of Psalms. It will be in the very first chapter of Psalms, starting in verse one. Here's, this, here's how the text goes. Blessed is the one who does not walk and step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. You see who's blessed? It's not those that keep company with the wicked. You see the communal language in this verse. He says, no, it's the ones who meditate on the law day and night. He said, now listen to this, what, what that looks like. That person who meditates on the law day and night is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Like a tree. It's a beautiful image, a tree. And, and what I love about the image is, is, is the tree yields fruit in season, in the right season. Man, if I could do the right thing at the right time every time, I would love that. Say the right words. The right yields fruit in the right season. Whose leaves never wither? It's because it's been planted by that strong source, that river, right? And in, in every way they prosper. It's not prospering in the way you and I think prospering. Right? That's not money in the bank account. That's not what it's talking about. Prospers, meaning we are prospering in what God's plan was for our life in that moment. That we, our church, is to accomplish the mission of making disciples at just the right time. God, doing God's will, bringing him glory with every step that we take, partnering with him and making all things new. What focuses you to be like that tree? It's that mission of God. I believe it's when we submit our lives not to just what I think is right, because so often I make, make things terrible for myself. Like kind of me wanting to do all the stuff in college. It's, no, it's when I become into a covenant relationship with someone else, my wife. She helps focus me. And it's interesting that the metaphor, one of the strongest metaphors to the people of God in Scripture is that we are called the bride of Christ. That means that we, the church, are in a covenant relationship with Jesus, our groom. And where he goes, we go. His mission is our mission. His purpose is our purpose. And so we must, what focuses you individually is that you are part of a community. You're part of the body of Christ that's in a relationship with Jesus. And so we must, to be focused in the right direction for our life, to be on mission with Jesus, we must move with Jesus and his body. That's what it means to be focused. Well, God is calling us to, because so often, I don't know about you, but I drift. One of the worst um, times of my week is every morning from nine to noon, Monday through Thursday. You know what time of day I'm supposed to be doing at that time? I'm supposed to be writing a sermon. I'm an extrovert, and my door is thin, and I can hear everyone else having fun outside in meetings, and I'm by myself with books and a computer. It's awful. Just kidding. I love it, but it is hard because I got to focus and being in a covenant relationship with you, the body of Christ, knowing that God has set me aside to prepare a message for you every week. This is what helps focus me. We're moving in the same direction with Jesus and his body and it's not just me by myself. Drift, I drift from that focus unless I consider the relationship that I'm in with all of you all. You see, we must move in the same direction with Jesus. That's our role in making disciples. It's growing like a tree in the forest, strong, united, transforming the world around us and beyond us. Now, there's four directions that a tree grows. 
And I'm just going to take this image of a tree, and I just want to build on it for the rest of the service. And what it looks like for us as the church, maybe just specifically thinking about College Heights, how can we be on mission with Jesus? What does focusing on that look like? And a tree grows in four directions. Here's the first direction. Trees grow down, don't they? Trees grow down and they get big, uh, large roots in the ground that make them able to grow high and tall in in the sky. So you can see this picture. Typically, lots of trees, in order for them to stand strong, however tall they are above the ground, that's how how deep they have to be below the ground. Look at all those roots that are going down. And that's what keeps that tree nourished with the water coming in and it takes the water up and and the nutrients from the soil and then it keeps it nice and strong above the ground. Now, not all trees grow that way. That tree's all by itself, right? Solitary tree. Some of the tallest trees that we have are the sequoia trees, right? Now, sequoia trees are taller than the Statue of Liberty. They're so big, you can dig a hole in the middle of the trunk and drive a car through it. These trees are massive, yet they don't have deep roots. They have wide roots. And their root system aren't by itself a tree. These sequoias are grow, growing a force, and they grab a hold, almost like they're holding hands, they link arms, and they grab a hold of one another. And that's what empowers the sequoia trees as a group to grow so tall, taller than the Statue of Liberty, and so big that cars can drive through them. That's what it means for us to grow deep together. This is what focuses us is when we come here and we do this thing called gathered worship. We're coming to this environment and we are taught by other people, hey, pray these words. If you've never prayed before, that's okay. Just we, we, put it, we put it to music, sing these words. That's your prayer. Let me teach you how to pray. Those are roots growing strong and deep, holding you up, holding me up. It's, hey, let's have somebody else study for the week and, and see what the Lord is saying to them and deliver a message from, from Scripture. Roots growing deep. Let's go take communion together, the bread and the, and, the, and the cup, the body and the blood of Jesus. And Christians have been doing this for thousands of years. And let's join with them, those roots growing deep, giving us a nice base and a strong support system. See, this regular gathering has been going on for 2,000 years. It isn't some invention of pagan Romans when Constantine made Christianity the official Roman religion or the official religion of the Roman Empire in 315 AD. It's not. This didn't start then. The gathering of Christians began the very first 300 years of the history of the church. In 100 AD, maybe even a little bit before that, there's a book called the Didache where it talks about how uh, every day, it says that, uh, every Lord's Day, we gather ourselves together and break bread and give thanks after having confessed our transgressions so that our sacrifice may be pure. The second century, Justin the Martyr, this is the mid-150 AD, said this in his book, and on that day called Sunday, all who live in cities or in the country gather together to one place, and the memoirs of the apostles or the writings of the prophets are read as long as time permits. That should not be in there. As long as you want. No, I'm just kidding. Then, when the reader has ceased, the president verbally instructs and exhorts to the imitation of these good things. Then we all rise together and pray. And as we before said, when our prayer is ended, bread and wine and water are brought. And the president in like manner offers prayers and thanksgiving according to his ability and the people assent, saying amen. First 300 years had this other phenomenon happen called the catacomb meetings. Christianity was being persecuted and underneath Rome are these caves called the catacombs where the Romans would bury their dead. And Romans didn't like death, they wouldn't be around death. And so Romans wouldn't go down there, they'd only send their slaves to go into the catacombs. And so here are these huge gatherings, chambers underneath the city that were free to roam for Christians. 
And they would go down to the catacombs. I've been there and we, in Rome, and we, they would go down there, and that's where Christians would meet, and they'd gather together, and they would pray, and they would teach. Acts 2.42 says it this way. The, the early church, devote yourself, they devote themselves to the apostles, teaching to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. And it says this, every day they continue to meet together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. As I was praying over the service before all of you came this morning, these two phrases kept coming to my mind when I was thinking about this part of the sermon. From Colossians 3, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Who wants peace today? Contentment today. Right, being at ease today. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Ready for the last part of that? Since as members of one body, you are called to peace. It's the body of Christ, the gathering, the church that focuses you. Then it says this, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you do what? As you teach and admonish one another. And what I want to say in that verse, if I could change it, if I had the authority to change scripture, I would say, as you teach and admonish one another with all sermons and all teaching and all biblical exposition and podcasts and everything. But it says, no, that's not what it says. Let the word of Christ teach you richly. Uh, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another. Ready for this? With all psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your hearts to the Lord. You see, what focuses you, we grow deep, united roots by coming to this gathering. When the peace of Christ and the word of Christ through the body of Christ focus us on Christ. Look at this image. We're going to build this image. This is our role as a church uh, together. This tree right here. We want to dig. We want to grow down and have roots that come from gathered worship. It's this commitment to the gathering. Every Sunday, we gather. Every week, we're here, allowing us to make us stronger together. See, trees grow down to create roots, yet trees grow up and mature because of the sun and the rain and the air that nourishes them. And the roots that empowers them get taller and taller and taller. You see, the roots of our tree of discipleship is the worship gathering, and yet the environment that nourishes us to grow taller and to grow up and mature in our faith is relational discipleship. Relational discipleship. We were never meant to follow Jesus alone. We were always designed to live in community with other humans. And no matter how often you come here or what section you sit in, circles are always better than rows. Like you sitting in a row, it's great. You need to be here, but this is half of the equation. If you want to follow Jesus, it's not just showing up here on Sunday. Like that's a huge part of it. But you're in a row and you come and you listen to one person talk and then you leave and you sing songs and then you leave. It's like, no, no, you need to live life with other people. God said to Adam, it wasn't good for him to be alone, so he gave him Eve, someone to live and share life with. Noah said to Moses, I mean, not Noah, uh, Jethro said to Moses, you can't do this by yourself, you need other people to help you. Paul didn't plant churches on his own, but he had a whole entourage of people that went with him wherever he went. And Paul says to Timothy, one of his disciples, this in 2 Timothy 2, 2, the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who also be qualified to teach others. Four generations in that verse of modeling, of mentoring, of apprenticeship, of relationship that provides the environment for us to learn how to pray, to learn how to read scripture by imitating others doing it. You see, discipleship, following Jesus, is a lot more caught than taught. Like, I can teach you till I'm blue in the face what prayer is, but until you pray with others, you're not going to learn how to pray. It's kind of like how, learning how to ride a bike. You know how you learn how to ride a bike? You go out into the yard and you watch other people ride bikes. 
my daughter, Jerry, is gonna get a bike for Christmas. Don't tell her, it's a surprise, okay? But she wants a bike because the neighbor's kids have bikes. And what happens? They're modeling for her to ride a bike. They don't know they're doing this, but they are. And she shares life with them. They go out and play together. And she's like, I see them riding a bike. I want to ride a bike. So she's going to start riding a bike. And what's going to happen? At some point, she's going to be like, "Um, why does mine have two extra wheels on them? And theirs don't. Well, those are called training wheels. And we're going to take them off. And then we're going to do the whole, you know, the classic parent thing. Like, get on your bike. And we're going to walk alongside you, right? Yeah, we're going to assist. So they've modeled for you. Now we're assisting you on how to ride a bike. And then we're going to do, don't let go, Dad. Oh, I won't. You're going to learn the balance. Don't let go, Dad. I won't. I won't. And then what do I do? Yeah. Everybody, didn't everybody do this? Yeah, and then they, you know, they fall down. You let go. It's a legitimate learning technique, right? Like, you got to do that. And so you assist them, and they fall down. Then you, you say, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. And then you do it again. And then, and then they learn how to ride a bike. And then you watch them ride the bike. And then all of a sudden, you're just like, hey, good luck. See you later. You know, be safe. And then they go ride bikes. That's how you become a follower of Jesus. It's gradual. It's not just getting information, but it's, it's knowledge plus obedience. Knowledge minus obedience equals hypocrisy. I know what I should do, but I don't do it. Now I'm a hypocrite. But when I know what I should do, and I hear maybe from a sermon or reading scripture, and then there's a group of people that shows me how to do it, that, that holds me accountable to doing it, and putting it into practice, now I become a spiritually mature person. Right? That's how we grow up in our faith, is by the community of Christ, by getting in a small group. It's this image here. We grow roots down deep through gathered worship, but we grow up Immaturity through relational discipleship. If you're not in a small group, the next three weeks we're gonna have a small group connect here at church. Get plugged into a small group where you can go engage and share life with people. Come to College Heights Connect right after church today and come meet Aaron Wheeler. Get plugged into a small group. I gotta go. This is I'm, I'm running out of time. Tear, trees, not tears. Trees grow down. They grow up. Trees also grow in. They get thicker. And they grab a hold of one another and they, our branches become more and more stuck into the, the trunks of the tree and they, and they get thicker and more sturdy over time, as do I. The logic of that helps my image issues a lot. Sigh, you're looking rounded. I'm just maturing, growing in, shuddy. Actually, my one claim to fame is that Carrie Underwood sat on my shoulder once. I know. My uh, sister was in a country show with Carrie. They actually went and tried out for American Isle together because Carrie Underwood's from the same area. I'm from in Oklahoma. And, uh, but they were in this country show, and one of the dancers got fired before the last show. So they asked me to fill in. So I did the two-step with Carrie. I flipped her over my back. I picked her, on my, uh, picked her up and put her on my shoulder and held her up for the finale of the song. And she said, and I actually, um, yeah, held her up like this. It was this, this shoulder right here. And I haven't washed it since. <laughs> so if you come up to me, come up to me on this side, okay? This one smells. Um, she preferred me to her other partner. You wanna know why? She said I was sturdy. <laughs> but that's, <laughs> that's what happens though over time. The trees actually on the outside of the forest, they weather the storm, the wind and the rain, and they actually become thicker and more stronger, protecting the other forest and the trees behind them. And that's what happens in your faith 
when suffering and persecution happens and you lose a loved one, two people I prayed with today lost a loved one recently. And it's a conversation in the atrium, but it's a lifetime for them. And what's the role of the church? The role of the church is to come around people who are hurting, who are in pain, that suffering hits, or they're being persecuted because of their faith. And we say, no, no, we're gonna come around you and we're gonna help your faith. You grow stronger in your faith, not run away from your faith, because it's in those seasons where our faith is refined. First Peter says it like this, in all this suffering, basically, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold which perishes even though refined by fire. You see, gold they'd put into a fire and, and the impurities would rise to the top. They'd get up nice and hot and the fire would get the impurities to rise to the top and they'd scrape it off. Sure, they would take a little bit of the gold with it, but they made the rest of the gold more pure. That's what happens when the, the fires of suffering and persecution and pain hit. It refines our faith and we, that refining proves our faith genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. We're not looking to cause that as a church. That's not our role as a church to cause persecution or to cause suffering or, or to, to, to cause the loss of loved ones. No, but when that does happen, we have to recognize that that's an opportunity for us to come around a person and say, hey, we're here for you. We're gonna walk alongside you the way God is here with you and then look for opportunities for their faith to grow in that process. That's our role. So we come together. What does that look like for us to become closer with Jesus? And so we grow down the roots with gathered worship and we grow up in this relational discipleship and mature in our faith and we grow in through care. Oh, that's, this, that's that next piece. As we grow inward where we're able to get stronger in our faith and more refine our faith through care in the midst of suffering. And lastly, trees grow out, don't they? Trees provide shade for animals to, to come underneath them from the sun. They provide uh, branches for birds to perch in. They actually affect, affect the ecosystem around them, don't they? Trees put off oxygen, they take in carbon dioxide, and we breathe in the oxygen they put off, and we breathe out the carbon dioxide that they take in. If you want to kill a forest, kill the trees. If you want to reignite a forest, you plant trees, because trees affect the atmosphere. And then you have the seeds of the trees, not only does a tree affect everything around it, but trees then reproduce. They multiply and seeds go out and they're blown by the wind and there's some seeds that explode and they go everywhere. Or other seeds are picked up by animals and they're taken off and then another tree pops up where that seed lands. Just like our faith. Just like the body of Christ. We are never meant to be in one place and have no impact in the world around us and behind us, but to huddle safely and secure for forever until Jesus comes back. No, no, no. That's burying gold in the ground. You know, like trees, we are meant to have an impact on the world around us and the world beyond us by multiplying in every way, reproducing on every way, going out into the world and planting trees all around this known world so that every person in every house on every street across the globe will see the glory of God and know who he is as Father. As the waters cover the sea, so we go. We go. We go. What focuses us? It's being this tree. Let me show you that, this whole picture here. It's that impact, it's growing down and gather worship up through relational discipleship, it's growing in through care, then growing out and impacting the world around us and beyond us. We move in the same direction with Jesus by committing ourselves to this. Not getting distracted by all the million other things that we could do, but it's like, no, that's our focus, right? 
is that tree. So here's my challenge for you today. I'm gonna skip straight to this. What are you going to give up this year so that you can focus on being on mission with Jesus? We are a distracted culture. What we need is focus. We don't need a tree to add on to all the things that we're already doing. To add Jesus on top of everything else, to to diversify our activity a little bit more with a little bit of Jesus over here. No, no, we gotta refocus, recenter, get that top button buttoned right by committing ourselves to a covenanted community with Jesus. The fact is this, church, we, the staff and the leadership, we have had much to do with the problem of being distracted as our culture has. We have 85 different ministry programs that we are currently running today and 80 different events every year. And the truth is the majority of us in this room we're the ones that running, are running ragged trying to keep all of these things going. So this is what we need to do. We need to focus our energy on those four things. That's how you make a disciple, growing down and up and in and out. And that's what we're gonna do. That's what we're gonna focus on because that's our mission. That's what it means to be in a covenant relationship with our groom. We are doing an, exam- an examination of all of our programs, identifying ways in which everything we do can come into alignment towards those ends to focus on making disciples who change the world. And what we're asking from all of you in this process is patience. Be patient with us. And also, we want, we're asking you to be willing with us to work on aligning all of our ministries towards our mission. What it also might mean is that some of us in this room, we might need to stop doing some things that we're currently doing because we're overcommitted. Please, giving you permission, do it. Stop. Because there's others in this room who aren't engaged. Maybe they're living that that consumer life and they need to step up. Maybe they've never come to Jesus and it's time for them to have an opportunity, but we have the same people doing all the stuff. We need to have more spots and more empty spots available for people to say, I wanna step up, I wanna be a part of that. And maybe that's you inviting apprentice to come alongside you and then you leaving and you raising them up. A relational discipleship environment where you're replacing yourself. See, every one of you here, we all play a role in helping those who are outside of the tree, outside of the faith, into those four areas of growth. And so that's what, This is all about, this is why we need focus. So this is what we're gonna do for the remainder of our time together. We're gonna focus on this idea of these two imperatives that Jesus gives us that focuses us, I think, week after week. He says, come, and he says, go. Come and go, come and go. So we have these tables around the room. We're gonna take communion together. And we're gonna do it in an intentionally different way than us sitting in our rows and receiving them in our seats. We want to everyone get up to come to Jesus. We're gonna move in the same direction with Jesus and his body. So we have these stations around the room. We're asking you to get up and to come to Jesus and at his table, he's gonna say, this is my one front of, of, one front of, of activity that you can have victory in today. My body, broken for you so that everyone can come to my table. My, my, my blood shed for you to pay for your sin. Come as a church, receive healing. Healing from your sin, healing from your guilt, healing from your shame and your fear and your past. Because without this sacrifice of Jesus, it doesn't matter what we do. Without him, we are nothing. First and foremost, we all must come to the foot of the cross. And remember, 
It's because of him. It's because of his blood that we're able to then do the next command of God, which is to go, to go away from the table together as a community, as a body of Christ, to go with the mission of making disciples of all nations. Come and then go. Come and be healed and then go and heal. Come and find purpose and then go and give purpose. Come and receive good news and then go and give good news. So during this time, these stations are in the room. Whenever you feel led, come, take communion and go back to your seat. I'm gonna have our prayer team go ahead and get up. Prayer team people, get up now. And we have four areas of, uh, for you to go. We have one over here in this exit one area over here in this exit, one area up front, right here in the front, and one area right there in the back. Just spread out around those four areas, prayer team, our elders, ministers, volunteers. During this time of communion, maybe you just need to go to one of these people and, and, and be prayed for, be prayed over, to come and have the community of Christ, the bride of Christ, help focus you. Go to one of these places during this time. Receive prayer. Go into one of these communion stations. Take the Lord's Supper. Come. And if you have limited mobility, raise your hand. Someone will bring you communion. And if you want someone to pray with you and have limited mobility, raise your hand. Someone will come pray with you. But let's all today, in this one moment, move in the same direction with Jesus.